Guys, I don't know what kind of week you had. I'd love to be able to take a poll right now to say how many of you are tired, how many of you are just excited to, to be here, uh, but, uh, uh, and how many of you are excited for the ribs in four weeks. Uh, and so, uh, but we're, we're always thankful that you, that you come. Uh, what we do here is not just like this incredible type. We just want to gather together and be challenged and have some good food and go home and hopefully share that uh, with some people uh, when we go home or the next day. And so uh, we started a well-deserved um, uh, series last week. It is a series that as men, we desperately need. Uh, it's a series that we can use at any time, uh, with anyone, uh, anywhere. It is a series that we are calling, tell me, Uplift. It is a series on encouragement. Uh, we have talked about each and every one of us, whether it's our family, whether it's a coworker, whether it's someone in our church, whether it's a stranger, we all have an opportunity to be an agent of encouragement in a world of despair. We agreed last week that we live in a world of despair. Read a newspaper, watch TV, go online, and you will see that uh, there's a lot of negativity going on in our world. Here's the good news, that we have an incredible God who seeks to encourage us, and as he encourages us each and every day through his spirit and his word, we're able to then go and encourage someone else. And I hope you did that this past week. Uh, a lot of you were a huge encouragement to me, telling me, uh, you know, Man, last week was just an incredible start. Well, Dan uh, tonight said, this has been an incredible series. I said, we're only one week in. We've got 10 more weeks. We can blow this real easy. And so, um, but uh, uh, whether you are on the giving end of encouragement or the receiving end of, of encouragement, uh, encouragement should and must be a high priority in the church as well as what? Outside of the church. Because there are people that you're going to meet every single day that want to quit and they want to give up. And maybe you're here tonight and you feel that as well. It only takes one person with a good word to be able to raise someone's spirit. And so I want to start out tonight with uh, two short stories for you before we kind of look at God's word and what he says about encouragement and how we can be lifted up. I want to take you all the way back to 1975. I was 12 years old. And uh, I, there I am, right there. You want to talk about a good-looking 12-year-old kid, okay? I wanted desperately, desperately to be in a youth football league. My parents signed me up for a youth football league. And uh, are you ready for this? This is what the name of it was, Plain Local Midget Football. It was called Midget Football at that time. We don't say midget anymore because it's offensive to some of you who are short, uh, but we don't say it anymore. Uh, and so, but it was called Plain Local Midget Football. And when I signed up, uh, here's how it went. We were given two weeks, and in those two weeks, we got our uniform, we got our helmets, our shoulder pads, our athletic supporter had to go out and get that. And uh, for what, I don't know, uh, at the age of 12. And uh, uh, for two weeks, we would just uh, learn skills, uh, meet uh, over Middle Branch. If anyone knows where Middle Branch is, uh, used to be junior high there, would, uh, uh, for two weeks straight, just running drills, getting to know each other, getting to know the coaches and stuff. And I was really, really fired up until I went the first night. 
And I realized at the age of 12, there were boys that had been in youth football since the age of eight. So they knew what they were doing. So here I am as a 12-year-old. I didn't know really. I, I had played backyard football, but I had never played like organized youth football. So I wasn't quite sure what to do or where to stand or what to tackle or who to tackle or what to grab. I didn't know any of that. And that first night when I went home, I thought, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit. I had a dad that at times would be a great encouragement, and this is where he was. Uh, every time he would take me to practice over those two weeks when I wanted to quit, he would say, just have fun tonight. Just have fun. Just go tackle somebody. Hit someone hard. You know, just, just enjoy your, the evening. Don't worry so much about all that you got to do. I was so discouraged and so kind of bummed out that I didn't have what these guys who started at eight years of age, that I didn't hear that encouragement. It was there, but I didn't hear it. Maybe some of you can relate. Somebody tries to encourage you and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the darkness and the doubt and the disappointment kind of comes in. I remember the night that we scrimmaged each other. I remember because it, it was so cold. And it was, it was just one of those rainy nights. I had, a, I had a couple coaches, but one of the coaches would say, Peters, you're going to play cornerback. And I didn't know what cornerback meant. Okay, I'm thinking I can stand in the corner with my back to everybody. I'm good, you know. And uh, for those of you that don't know, cornerback is defensive. You know, you see uh, a receiver comes over. He stays with the receiver. If a receiver doesn't come over, he's going in towards the quarterback to blitz or he's getting somebody coming through the line, making a tackle. I learned all that that day. And uh, it was one of those nights right there, that guy, that was unbelievable. Everything I touched that night fell. It was one of those nights that I could do no wrong. When the, when the receiver came out, I stuck with him, and he couldn't catch one pass. And I'm still like, I'm not sure what to do. I would run in, and probably over the course of 12 plays, I sat the quarterback about three or four times. And whenever I was in on a tackle, my coach would run over, and he would go, where's Peters? Where's Peters? There you are. And he would knock me on the helmet with his hand, and he would go, way to go, Peters. Get back in there. After two weeks, or just before two weeks, on a Saturday, we would always have the games. So about six or eight games that we would have. Two days before the big game, we scrimmage with another team. And my coach looked at me and he said, Peters, I want you to play cornerback. And I felt, I, you know, some of you don't know, but even at the age of 12, we feel very inadequate. We feel like we can't measure up. I feel like I, I'm going to disappoint somebody. And I remember running out on the field, and the very first play, that quarterback drew back, and I saw the receiver coming toward me, and he stopped, and he did what's called a button hook. You know what a button hook is? Okay, I learned that that day too. A button hook is where someone runs right out to you, turns, and as they turn, the ball's right there. And it was one of those slow motion times. So I see you, Dave thinks, you know. And I remember him running out at me, and he turned, and when he turned, I saw the eyes of the quarterback, and I saw him throw it, and I stepped in front of this receiver, and I picked it off, picked off the, the football, and I ran toward the, uh, the touchdown, the field goal, the, uh, no, I'm just kidding, uh, the touchdown, and I scored. 
And when I scored, I had a slew of friends from that team that came on that field and gave me high fives and hit me on the shoulder pads and hit me in the butt, which was new to me. And uh, uh, I'm like, wow, this is an interesting youth league. And so, um, and, and uh, all of a sudden I see my coach coming through and he's like, Peters, Peters. And he hit me upside the helmet and he goes, I knew you could do it. That was incredible. Guys, I left that game that night a different person. I would never be able to tell you this story had I quit. I, if I would have let discouragement and disappointment rule over the course of those two weeks and I quit, I would never have been able to share that story with you. I am so glad I stayed with it. I had a dad who encouraged me. I had coaches that encouraged me. And I had friends that encouraged me. Guys, um, when do we need to be uplifted and encouraged the most? Now, I know there's more than three on your paper tonight. I just want to give you three real quick. But uh, uh, when do we need encouraged or lifted up the most? I think the first one all of us would agree is during times of regret. When we feel like we have screwed it up when we have made a wrong choice, when we've said the wrong thing, when we oh, were someplace that we shouldn't have been, and every single one of us, from all the way over here to all the way over here, we have all had regrets. Anyone? Anyone have regrets? And it's so easy to kick ourselves in the rear. It's so easy to think, man, I'm nobody. It's so easy to not forgive ourselves. And what we need is someone to come along, the Lord and others, to be a source of encouragement. Because a lot of us sitting in here, our biggest enemy is ourself. And we, um, we need to be encouraged during times of regret. Uh, the past is just that. It's in the past. And we're not defined by the things that have happened in our past. There are things that you're still, at your age, at my age, still thinking, you know what, that was just dumb. That was stupid. But the important thing is that we learn from it and we move on. And some of the greatest times in our life is when we say, you know what, I learned some hard lessons and I was groomed and I learned through that so that I'm a different person. So during times of regret. The second one is during times of discouragement. Every single one of us here tonight have been through times of discouragement. Uh, there's things going on in our life right now that can bring disappointment, uh, can bring heartache, can bring pain. And those are the times that we need somebody to come along and lift us up. Those are the times that we need somebody to encourage us. A word, uh, uh, last week, uh, the triangle. Encouragement is in the middle. We encourage with our words, our actions, and our attitude. And it changes everything. So there's a guy in here tonight that presently, you really need lifted up. You really need encouraged. That's why we do what we do. And then the last really is during times of uncertainty. When we're looking through the lens of life and we're looking way out and we're thinking, is the job going to pan out? Is everything going to work out? Um, uh, the situations of life, how am I going to handle, and I will, how am I going to handle it now that I'm a widow? How am I going to handle life now that I've been let go from my job? And those are the times that we have our radar on and we watch and we encourage guys at our table, guys at our church, guys at our workplace. 
when there's times of uncertainty. Every single one of us in here have gone through times of uncertainty in our life. And that's when we need someone to come along and encourage and lift us up. Paul to the church of Thessalonica said to those who were undergoing discouragement and uncertainty, he said this in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. In other words, you're encouraging each other, but you need to continue to do that. It is not a one and done, it is a one and then some. To be able to stand here or sit here tonight and say, I encourage somebody back in 83, I remember that. It is something that should be ongoing in our life. Because on any given day, we would like to be encouraged. And on any given day, we have the opportunity to encourage someone else. Continue to keep encouraging one another, just as in fact you are doing. A second story occurred on July 5th, 2018. Maybe some of you remember this. A powerful earthquake uh, struck the small town of uh, Ridgecrest, about 125 miles northeast of uh, Los Angeles. A small town. Uh, The... uh, Uh, earthquake registered a 7.1 on the Richter scale. Uh, What resulted from this massive earthquake was more than 600 aftershocks over the next two weeks. Interesting enough, and you'll see some pictures up here, that some cameras that were at a nearby amusement park showed roller coasters swaying 10 feet off of the centered base because of the earthquake that was taking place. Uh, Gas lines were snapped. Uh, Library books just tossed everywhere. Uh, You see the roads just buckled, houses destroyed, gas lines ruptured. Uh, A lot of devastation. And there was more than 600 aftershocks over the next two weeks. The mayor of the town said this, living through the aftershocks of the quake was a constant reminder of the damage and personal struggle that everyone was having in trying to move on. Tonight, we're going to look at two men. Two men that are traveling from Jerusalem to a small town called Emmaus. And in that walk and in that time, these men are discouraged. These men are disappointed. These men are struggling with their doubts because what they had put their hope in What they had put their security in is now gone. They are feeling the aftershock of Christ's crucifixion. And all their hopes and dreams of placing Jesus as the Messiah and and Jesus coming in and taking care of the Roman oppression that was going on, all of that was being upended. And they are feeling the aftershock of that. Plus, Jesus' body is gone. It has disappeared and rumors are flying saying someone stole the body. Other people were saying, this Jesus talked about rising from the dead. So people did not know how to respond and how to react to Jesus' body being gone. And we'll see these two guys and many others in Jerusalem just needed encouraged. And so we're going to give you some uh, after or some uh, uh, aftershocks tonight. Uh, if you got your Bibles, uh, meet me in Luke Chapter 24, this is probably a passage that if you've been in church long enough, you have read, 
you have walked through, it is well worth walking through again to help us to see the importance of there are aftershocks that happen in our life. We're going to have disappointments in our life. But how do we react and how do we respond after the earthquake? How do we respond to those aftershocks that appear? And so in Luke 24, we're just going to look for a second in verse 13 and 14. So let me read it for you, and then we'll move on. It says, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. You see in your Bible there where it says that very day or that same day, that is the very same day that what happened? That Christ had rose from the dead. It was the very first Easter Sunday. And these two, after seeing what had happened and realizing the tomb is empty, they're walking to Emmaus and they're talking about this on that very day that Christ had resurrected. How many are on the road? Just from these two verses, how many are on the road? Two. Two. We will see in a moment that a third will be added. And where are they headed? Emmaus. I don't know hardly anything about Emmaus, but I do know how long it takes there, takes to get there from Jerusalem. It's how many miles? How do you know that? Because it's in the Word of God. It says seven miles. Now, it wasn't uh, a surface like what we're standing on tonight. Uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, uh, rocky soil, uh, curves, uh, ups and downs. It's like backpacking. Well, you can usually travel if you're just walking on a, a, a surface like this uh, a mile and, what, 20 minutes? Okay, for some of you, three days, but uh, 20 minutes. Uh, but for them, it probably took a little bit longer, but you're thinking 20 minutes, seven miles, that's two and a half hours. That's some time to talk about the things that have just happened. What are the things that have just happened? And I don't think we, it's, this is conjecture, I think the things that they're talking about that have just happened is what Luke has just recorded in Luke 22, uh, 23, and 24. I believe they are talking about the events that occurred prior to the crucifixion, events that happened during the crucifixion, about the crucifixion, what has happened after the crucifixion, and now Jesus' body is gone, and they don't know what to think or to do about it because their hopes have been shattered. They had put everything on Jesus being this coming Messiah that would save the people from their sin and save them from the Roman oppression and it's gone. It's gone. Um, but when Jesus is put to death, they are feeling the aftershock of discouragement and doubt and disappointment. All their dreams have died with them. Someone has said this, the path they had hoped for appeared to have had a fork in it. They are downcast and need encouraged. I think it, all of us at some time or another have been in a similar season of life as these two guys have been in. We put our hopes in something. The relationship fizzled out. The dream job didn't happen. The medical tests came back. Um, the dreams were put on hold. 
the finances just were not there. And it can be disappointing. It can be disappointing. And we feel the aftershock of disappointment and discouragement. I just want you to keep this in mind for a second. How many of you have ever been down? Disappointed. Discouraged. Have doubts. Something is going on here that even though they are discouraged, what are they doing? They're talking through it. They're talking through it. And I have found that when I go through a time in my life where I'm disappointed or I'm down, the worst thing I can do is just cave in and go into my man cave and not say anything. One of the best things we can do is at least start sharing it with someone else. And that really has a way of starting to bring us out of our disappointment and discouragement and lifting us up and encouraging us. So we're going to take a minute. We're going to do this a number of times tonight, but I'm only going to give you five minutes and then I'm going to cut you off, okay? So here's the question tonight. Describe a time at your tables when your present circumstances brought disappointment or doubt. Who, what or who did you need to lift you out of your situation? You have five minutes. I know that everyone can't share, but maybe a few of you share that question. Go. All right, guys, we're moving on. Look at verse uh, 15. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. And for any of you that are debating or questioning, do you think they were really discouraged? What does it say here? But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. More were some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Uh, second aftershock here is that of a dialogue. Jesus comes beside them and walks with them on the road to Emmaus. Some translations say that Jesus uh, uh, came and walked beside them. This is a beautiful picture, guys, of the work of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit comes and ministers to us and comes along and comforts us and gives us hope and courage in our time of disappointment. I think sometimes we do not lean on the Spirit of God to encourage us the way that He can. And so uh, the, the, the Greek word, not that I'm trying to impress you because this is the only one I know, is this the word, a Greek word, para, parakletos, meaning one called alongside to comfort, give help or courage in our time of need. Jesus comes alongside. And what does he do? 
For a while, he just listens. He just kind of takes it in. But here's where it gets interesting. They see him, but they don't see him. It tells us their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus was with them, but they did not see him for who he truly was. Now, the question we should ask is, why didn't they recognize him? Was it because he veiled their eyes and he was wanting to teach them a lesson first before he unveiled them? Was it because he had a hood on and he didn't look directly in their face, uh, directly at them and they, they weren't quite sure who this was? I, I'm not sure. But Jesus was not letting them see who he was until he wanted them to see him. They were walking with him, but they didn't have eyes to see. Sometimes we can look at something and we can see it, but not really see it. So what do you mean? How many of you have a junk drawer at home? And you pull that junk drawer out. And you're trying to find a scissors. You're trying to find a shoehorn. You're trying to find a particular pen. And you're like, I've been looking all over in this junk drawer. But I don't see it. It's not here. And usually our spouse or one of our kids will come over and they'll go, Dad, honey, it's right here. It was there, but what? We didn't see it. We saw it, but we didn't see it. Now we're going to do a little exercise here. We're going to show you a picture in a moment. And the moment you see this picture, I want you to shout out what you see. Okay? Go. How many of you saw a duck right away? How many of you saw a rabbit? How many of you saw Satan? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I mean... You saw something, and, and some of us are like, I don't see the duck at all. Others are saying, I don't see the rabbit at all. It's there, but you don't see it. The first thing that you see in this next picture, go. How many of you see the face? How many of you see the word liar? Oh, it's there. You just... Don't see it. Guys, Jesus is present with these two men. But I think the weight of their discouragement, the weight of their disappointment, the weight of their doubt keeps them from seeing Jesus. And I want to just speak to all of us for a moment here because that's usually what happens. There's something that happens in our life that causes us to become very disappointed or discouraged and the Lord is in our presence and the Lord is wanting to work. He is there, but we, it is overshadowed. Our, our disappointment, our despair is overshadowed. And so, or I should say, the Lord's presence is overshadowed by our discouragement. He is there. He is there. So for the guy that's sitting in here tonight saying, I don't feel encouraged, I don't feel loved, I don't feel like anything is going on right now. Put yourself in the shoes of these two guys going to Emmaus. Because Jesus is there. They just don't see it. But there is a reason why. Now what does Jesus ask in verse 17? It's in red. What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And you notice how one of the disciples, uh, a follower of Christ, Cleophas, uh, answers? He basically says, 
where have you been? Are you the only visitor in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on here? And Jesus says what? What things? Now, when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Jesus is asking the question to generate conversation. And notice, they immediately begin to share about Christ and who he is. And that it was through the rulers that he was crucified. Um, The life-changing truth in their time of need was right there in front of them, but they did not see him. But there is a phrase here that you should underline. And that phrase is in verse 21. But we had hoped. But we had hoped. So many shattered dreams in that one statement. But we had hoped. What we had hoped for is not going to come to pass. We got our hopes up and they came crashing down. And some of us maybe are in a season of life where we are at a but we had hoped kind of situation. By now we had hoped to have children. By now, we had, I had hoped to be retired. But I had hoped to be married by now. I had hoped to be working by now. But I had hoped to be traveling, but I got the news about cancer. But I had hoped it would be till death do we part, but the parting came before the death. Jesus had risen, and he was right there, but they did not see him. How many of you have found yourself in a situation where you're so discouraged and so down, the Lord is trying to encourage you by friends. He's trying to encourage you by his word. He's trying to encourage you by the Holy Spirit. But you just don't see it. You just don't see it at the time. The Lord has a lesson for us. Sometimes in our present condition, we struggle in trusting if God is really present and working, and he is. Scripture tells us he's working behind the scenes. He's working in our life daily. And just as Christ is faithful in the past and he's faithful in the present, he gives us the confidence to move forward in the future. David Jeremiah says this in his book, Encourage. When we finally wake up and take a look over the months or years, we realize that he's been there all along. In my time of need, in my time of brokenness, in my time of loneliness, in my time of uncertainty and despair. I find this is when he longs to dialogue with me to come alongside and lift me up so I can walk in his confidence in the future. So I'm going to give you five minutes. We've got another question here. How, do, how does remembering what God has done in the past encourage you when you are discouraged in the present? Five minutes. Go. Um, let me jump in here. So when, uh, when we are discouraged in the present and we're to look back on how God has been faithful and demonstrated himself to us in the past, what should we be looking for? And I've shared this with you before. I look for four things because it's inevitable that we will go through a time of uh, present-day discouragement. The Lord doesn't want us to stay that way. The enemy does, but the Lord does not want us to stay that way. So I need to look back, and I need to remind myself of four things. I need to remind myself, and this is not on your handout. 
I need to remind myself again of the great power that I have through Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. We're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. Neither height nor length nor neither height nor depth nor length nor width, nothing can separate us from the love of God. If God is for me, who can be against me? I have to remind myself that my God is bigger than my discouragement. And as I look back and I see his power working in my life, that begins to lift me up. The second thing is, I go back and I think about how he has shown me his presence. A situation that he has worked out. A something that he has done. That I find myself standing there or sitting there saying, only God could have done that. And it has to be specific because... For some of us, we're like, yeah, God's work in the past. He, uh, he's shown me his presence in the past. But it's something that we specifically say, I remember him doing that. I saw him faithful. And if he was faithful then, he will be faithful now in my current situation. So his power, his presence, his protection. His protection. Go back. Go back in your life and see how God has protected you time and time and time again. You've heard me saying here, some of you should be dead. God protected you so many times, specifically recalling, you know what, I'm in a, I'm in a stupor right now, Lord. I, I am, I'm down, I'm discouraged. But Lord, I remember your power and I remember your presence and I remember how you protected me. And Because of that, that begins to uplift us. And bring us out of our discouragement. And the last one is his provision. His provision. Days where we thought, oh man, I'm not going to be able to make the house payment. Days when I'm like, we're not going to be able to handle it. Days where I maybe got laid off. And all of a sudden, God provided. Through a believer in Christ, through a, a someone. It, something happened that you found yourself saying, only God could have done that. And it encourages you for what you're going through right now. Those are things that I hang on to. Uh, and so when we say this, how is remembering what God has done in the past encourage you when you are discouraged in the present? Those four things, I just draw on the strength of that. Well, let me give you the third aftershock, and that is delight. Delight. We'll pick it up, verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at a table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we, were, while we talked? <laughs> Let me say that again. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, those who were with them, gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon as well. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them through the breaking of the bread. Guys, there were two things that Jesus did that revealed who he was. Do you know what one of them was? 
The breaking of the bread. Why would the breaking of the bread reveal who he was? Because when he broke it and he did this, it showed his hands. It showed the scars. But there was one other thing that we see in that passage that caused their eyes to be open. Did you see it? Did our hearts not burn within us when he opened up the scriptures to us as we were walking? When God opens up his word to us, it's being opened for a reason. And it's a source of encouragement at times. Those are the two things that they saw immediately that revealed who Jesus was. And what does it say they did? The moment that Jesus disappeared, what did they do? Okay, now it's, it's toward evening, isn't it? And they are walking seven and a half miles back to Jerusalem with a new attitude. They are filled with delight. Are they discouraged? No. They are encouraged. They are uplifted. Their lives have been changed. Reality is set in. And what they thought was the end is really the beginning. And so they went back and they tell the 11, we have seen the risen Christ. It says, they immediately went to the 11, gathered together to share the good news. The resurrection had been confirmed by more than two witnesses. Look at verse 35. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread went from the aftershock of discouragement and despair and disappointment to a time of delight. When you have an opportunity to be ministered by God and his word, it changes us. When you have an opportunity to encourage somebody else who is discouraged, it changes us. When somebody takes a moment and time to encourage you, it changes us. And we shouldn't take it lightly. So I want to give you one more opportunity in your group tonight to answer this question. Recall a time when you didn't see Jesus in your circumstance, but now as you look back on it, you see he was clearly, clearly there all along. I didn't see him in it, but now, now down the road I look back and he was all over that. Take a moment and share some stories with each other in your group of where you've seen this happen. Let me, uh, let me jump in here again. I hope you can recall a time in your life where you thought, is the Lord really working here? And when you look back on that uh, down the road, he was all over it. Um, I can probably tell you story after story after story of times where I thought, Lord, what are you doing? Are you even in this? And then as you come out of that storm or come out of that circumstance, you see how he, his hand was in all, in all of that. I want to read you something as uh, we kind of close tonight. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 to 12, is a... Um, is an excellent passage that, that deals with really recalling. Um, 
Paul says this, we, know, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like clay jars containing this great treasure. We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under a constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. The last few years, every time I read this passage, I think about the persecuted church in China. And I read that verse and it says, so we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. That every time there's persecution that goes on, what happens to the church? It grows, it grows. And there may be times when we're thinking, Lord, what are you doing? Are you in this? And we see it grow. I just heard from one of our partners overseas in Thailand, I've shared with you that we go into a prison where there's 4,700 inmates, high security prison. And this past week, we were able to send in 500 Bibles and 1,000 men in that prison made a commitment to Jesus Christ and made a commitment, yeah. yes, and made <laughs> a 1,000 men made a commitment to Jesus Christ. 500 of them received Bibles. There's 500, we hope, that are on the way. And their, their commitment is that they are going to read through the Gospel of John and they're going to have somebody read through the Gospel of John with them that doesn't know the Lord. And, and God is encouraging them in a place that can be very, very discouraging. I said it last week, I'll say it again. You and I have an opportunity to make an impact in the life of somebody else. And through encouragement, through our words, our actions, and attitude. And the last thing you see on your handout tonight, where it says, remembering what God has done for us in the past, encourages us when we are discouraged in the present, and gives us the confidence to move forward in the future. Walk out of here tonight. Draw near to the Lord. Either be an encouragement to someone or ask that the Lord would encourage you through his people. And watch what God does. Don't just keep what you have to yourself. Make an impact in someone else's life. These Chinese students will never, ever be the same. When we were in Hong Kong four years ago and we gave out a John MacArthur Study Bible in, um, what is the language? Mandarin. In Mandarin, they were crying, they were hugging us, uh, and we, we were taken back because that's something they just, because someone wanted to be an encouragement in their life, and their lives have never been the same. So let me pray for us tonight. Father, I, I pray tonight that we again would be thinking of somebody that maybe is walking that road to Emmaus, and they're discouraged. And we can come alongside, just as, you're, just as you did, Lord. And we can be a source of encouragement to them. 
and we can help them to see what you're able to do in their life. We can give a word of encouragement. We can do something with our actions, an attitude, something that will raise their spirits. Lord, I think all of us know of at least somebody that we can this week just lift up. And Lord, for the man that is here tonight that is uh, finding himself discouraged and in despair, I pray your spirit would come alongside and be that helpmate and give him courage and help him to stay strong and just come alongside and give him a sense of comfort and uplift him. And Lord, we just thank you that you are that great comforter, you are the great encourager. We're told in Hebrews, let us encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. May we do that even today, even tomorrow, throughout this week, that we would honor you. Thanks for our time together. We love you, Lord. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.